0: What is up? I am Evan Lovett and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, what is up? This is episode number eight. We are here in the IM studios in the heart of Los Angeles, quickly becoming my favorite place to be. Let's jump right into the rundown of this week's episode. Leading off is something that happened in LA this week. That teacher strike and walkout, even though it was short, it's going to have long-term ramifications on all of us, so I want to dive into that. Then I get into what I learned. Which is mind-boggling, both coming off of last week's episode about the metro, but given the state of LA transportation today, LA used to be the mass transit capital of the world. I can't wait to talk about that. And this therapy session, and yes, the therapy session is back. It's a doozy. Put it this way, OCD. And lastly, if you're going to do one thing in LA this weekend, do this. At the very southern tip of our city of San Pedro and hidden in plain sight in San Pedro are actual ruins of a city that sunk into the Pacific Ocean. And you can still check them out. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. So, something that happened in LA this week actually started last week. But it ended up concluding this week. Concluding for now. What I mean by that is this start off as a hostile story. Something that sent some serious seismic waves throughout Los Angeles. But it did have a happy ending. For now. Let me explain. Check this out. So LAUSD schools were closed for three days due to a walkout. Some term it a strike. It's kind of semantic at this point, but it was technically a walkout. Now, three days might not seem like a ton, but there are over a thousand campuses and nearly 500,000 students in the Los Angeles Unified School District. LAUSD is the second biggest school district in the country, and this caused shockwaves throughout the city cuz people were left scrambling for childcare, hustling to try to get meals for their kids, assistance for their children. They needed it. People work. This is this is a scramble, man. And now this is only a 3-day walkout, but the ramifications were massive, okay? LAUSD hadn't had a strike in nearly 20 years, but on the back end of the kids essentially missing two full years due to pandemic, and yes, I know there was at-home school, I know we had Zoom and all that, but it wasn't the same, so on the back end of that, three days is significant, and the good news is that they did resolve the walkout within 36 hours of the walkout. So you see it as a victory for, for the unions. But here's the thing. This may be foreshadowing a much more serious event in our schools to come next year. And look, like all work stoppages, the issue is money, okay? But it wasn't the teachers striking. It wasn't the teachers walking out, at least not leading it, okay? They weren't halting class asking for more pay. It was the support staff. I'm talking the custodians, the bus drivers, the cafeteria and food service workers, the teacher's aides, and the aides to students with disabilities. Get this. The average salary of those positions I just named is $25,000. $25,000 in Los Angeles, California in 2023. Come on. Now. Though the teachers are paid more, they heard that number of their, from their brethren and they said, we are with you, brother and sister. And now personally, I know it's how the labor market works. It's capitalism, it's supply and demand. And the fact is the reason it's like that is because there are enough people to work these mostly part-time positions or else they would pay more. But for me, hearing that number, that 25,000, it made my stomach crawl. Because I think of the dozens of workers, quote unquote, support staff that encounter my kid, my third grader every single day. I want those people happy. I want those people motivated. I want those people at their best taking care of my son and all the students at the schools. So whatever makes them happier is good with me. Okay, so what did those support staff employees actually want? That $25,000 salary... They wanted $36,000. Still not exactly a whopping sum of money, but at least more respectable. And the district countered with a 23% raise. And hey, 23%, I'm out here doing cartwheels. I'm taking my wife to sushi. But off of 25,000, that's that's only 31K. Far cry from the 36,000 that was being asked for, or demanded, if you will. And now look, they did eventually reach a compromise and that number ended up being $33,000, which is again, a good raise, but man, with the cost of living and housing and expenses and inflation, Los Angeles, that's, that's still not a ton of money, but it was enough for this issue to be settled for right now. The strike is over, but something else is looming and the unions know that the reason that the LAUSD did cave again within 36 hours is because they have what's being called a 4.9 billion dollar surplus this year. That's right. The LAUSD has almost is almost 5 billion dollars in the black. Now, Superintendent Alberto Carvalho, he says that money's already been earmarked, but either way, the narrative behind the the district having that kind of surplus definitely weighed in the support staff's favor and good. Now, now the thing is with me, my son is a Glendale USD student. I know, I know Los Angeles, Mr. Los Angeles. Yeah. I live here in Los Angeles, but here's why we sent our son to a Spanish immersion school. And can you believe that in Los Angeles, there aren't enough Spanish immersion options. So we had to send him out of district, right? My wife's Mexican. I speak Spanish. We want to raise him bilingual and I do send him out of our home district, permits, testing, wait lists, all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking maybe this is indicative of how LAUSD is spending their money. So that could be one of the problems with the district and why they don't, quote unquote, have enough money to pay the support staff. And frankly, I am plenty happy in Glendale. Great people, great administration, great district. And there are some awesome schools in LA, including right by our house that I would love to send our son to, but no Spanish immersion. But yet somehow Glendale can pull that off. And me, I'm a proud LAUSD product, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. High. Well, now they call it middle school, but back in my day... (laughs) But seriously, James Monroe High School, Vikings. I mean, I root for the LAUSD schools in sports, even though now they're always getting their butts kicked by CIF. CIF. But it is what it is. Okay. At the end of the day, I got to give credit to both sides of the table here. Okay. The district came close to the number. Wasn't full, but, but they capitulated a little bit. I mean, this is a massive bureaucracy. The city of Los Angeles, LUSD, coming together enough quickly, 36 hours to give them what they want. And props to the unions for fighting for what they want. They deserve it, in my opinion. Come on, man. Again, just think about your kid. You want them around happy motivated people. I do. But guess who may be the hero in this thing? By the way, I'm ducking for cover as I say this. Because respect due to Karen Bass, Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass, who mediated the solution. Both sides gave thanks to her, pulling them back to the table, telling them they needed to make a deal and doing it for the kids and doing it for the future. So I know that she's polarizing and I can already comments coming in on both sides. But you know what? In this situation, great job. Just outside of her first 100 days in office, but close. That That's a, that's a good good for her. But here's a funny thing even about that. This was settled, as I've been saying, within 36 hours of the strike. That means the sides at least were aware enough of what each wanted and were able to give, the district was able to give essentially all the money, 70, 80, 90% of the money that the unions wanted. So they were there. They knew it. So why couldn't they have avoided this completely? I mean, I'm thrilled that the parties made this agreement. Seems like both sides are happy and I don't want to take that away. But why do the kids even need to miss school in the first place? Why couldn't they have just come to an agreement? You know what I mean? It was just a big headache for everybody involved from the kids, the parents I knew. I mean, they should have just had this settled ahead of time. And that is where the foreshadowing comes in, because I hope this is a lesson for both sides. Guess what? The teachers' agreement expires in June of 2024. So before we know it, we're gonna wake up and it's gonna be 2024. And the teachers have this narrative. Will this empower the teachers' unions to have increased leverage? Seeing as how they saw LAUSD step up in a little bit more than a day. I mean, in the world of deal-making, and these union leaders are indeed deal-makers. Will they use this as leverage? Will they keep our kids out of school? Will they keep the LAUSD shut down for three days? A week? Two weeks? A month? I mean, I hope not. But both sides need to get to the table now. Talk about whether that is or is not a surplus. Figure out where the teachers are going to be and how to lock them in. Because they need to use this as a template to figure out how not to have our students miss any school before this next deal expires. Because to me, the foundation of the future The most important thing besides health is education. And this is about our kids. It's about the teachers and it's about the support staff, but ultimately it's about the kids learning and it's about them getting a good education. Now, speaking of education, what I learned this week is awesome, especially in light of last week's piece, which was an overall, you know, negative swipe at Metro and mass transit. I mean, it is the truth, but with this declining readership and deteriorating conditions of the Metro, I think it's appropriate to discuss what I learned. That Los Angeles was at one point, not too long ago, the mass transit capital of the world. That's right. Think back to 1876 when LA was included in the, the route of the transcontinental railroad, that marked the beginning of L.A.'s transformation from a small, isolated agricultural town into one of the world's prominent metropolises. Or is it metropoli? <laughs> L.A. was connected to San Francisco, to Texas, to the rest of the known world. And there was a population boom. And now it wasn't just because of the railroads, but they definitely facilitated it, right? The physical location of these lines started to serve as the basis of For new settlements, especially here in L.A. L.A. is a boom town. L.A. is a city formed by boosters. L.A. is, since day one, has been selling the dream. Perhaps nowhere in the world have they sold it better than Los Angeles. And these developers and real estate would-be moguls were touting these new communities. They were running electric trolleys, streetcar lines, cable railways to promote real estate in Los Angeles. Come to the new town of Alhambra, Arcadia, Burbank, Claremont, Covina. These are just some of the cities that were founded specifically as railway depots. Want me to go on? Fullerton, Gardena, Glendale, Hollywood, Inglewood, Redondo Beach, South Pasadena, Watts, Whittier. Again, these were railway depots first and cities second because these people We're expanding the railroads to sell this real estate. I mean, growth on these electric streetcar lines happened so rapidly that maps couldn't be printed fast enough. I'm serious. In 1898, Henry Huntington, yes, Huntington Beach, Huntington Library, a true tycoon, purchased the entire railroad line. And at at its height, The system contained over 1,500 railway stops. Can you imagine that in Los Angeles today? The metro, take it or leave it. it, They they do their best. This is a big city. But there's something like 87 different stations. We're talking 1,500 railway stops. Trains were an essential amenity in navigating Los Angeles. At one point, there were 1,600 Pacific Electric trains entering or leaving L.A. every single day. This was the primary mode of transit in the early 20th century. I mean, this was the most popular mode of transportation in the L.A. region. Red cars, yellow cars, Southern Pacific, Pacific Electric. And by 1925, this is less than 100 years ago. These railways provided the greater Los Angeles region, the largest trolley system in the world. Think about that. In Los Angeles, the city that invented car culture, that exported car culture to the world. We were the kings of mass transit. So what the heck happened? Okay, in 1945, National City Lines... A faceless entity acquired what was then known as the Los Angeles Railway. By 1961, 16 years later, the final journey of the red car concluded and mass transit, it was just a speck of dust in the memory of Los Angeles. From 1945 to 1961, it took 16 years. How did this mass transit epicenter vanish from the cityscape what forces combined to replace these red cars yellow cars and all these rail lines now some people say it looks like the work of a conspiracy and there's a movie who framed roger rabbit that kind of addresses that but i want to i want to look at this this so-called conspiracy and let, let's see the points that that lend credence to that let's go back to that national city lines entity who was national city lines Well, their investors included General Motors, Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, Standard Oil, Phillips Petroleum, and Mack Trucks. (laughs) All those companies have one thing in common, right? They're all automobile oriented. They all push for the car, not for the railway lines. So why would they purchase The Los Angeles Railway. I mean, this seems open and shut, right? And again, the plot of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which by the way was a 1988 film, was setting its story to the year 1947 where the antagonist, Judge Doom, he says, I bought the red car so I could dismantle it. Interesting, right? Seems, there it is. That was the conspiracy. But the truth is a lot less sinister. Let's be honest with ourselves. The automobile craze was sweeping through LA. I mean, this is the home of the drive-through. People want to drive even to this day. Yes, there's traffic, but dang. LA is where car culture was birthed. And the car culture was sweeping through LA faster than any other place in the country. You look at the flat terrain, the climate. People want to drive. And the streetcar system, it was so elaborate that there was already an infrastructure for driving. There were already roads and routes and places to go. So the presence of the automobile slowed the streetcar and eventually took over the streetcars, which lacked their own lanes. And then the streetcars could no longer make their schedules. And the level of service declined and then chicken and the egg. People decided to take more cars, even the ones that were married to the rail car. And another fact, by the 1920s, the railway was unprofitable. Services had been cut. And with passengers buying cars, ridership and fare continued to decline and the death spiral was already ensuing. This is way before General Motors and all the others involved in National City Lines started buying up streetcar systems. So like most conspiracies, it's easy to blame the faceless corporation. I mean, it's it's the logical economic beneficiary of this car-oriented system. But the truth is that the people, we, the people of Los Angeles love cars and we love driving. It's the best way to get around this city. So what I learned, Los Angeles was the mass transit capital of the world. And just as fast as it developed, it declined. And speaking of declining, sometimes I feel like I'm declining into a spiral of Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD. And yes, this is my therapy session because OCD has been something I have been afflicted with ever since I have conscious memories. Now, I'm told everyone has OCD to a small extent. Um, and even though, honestly, it has got better for me, it's still, still there. Um, it's a kind of a driving force. I'll tell you what I mean. I simply have to do certain things. You know, a lot of them are are productive, right? I make lists, but then I absolutely have to check everything off that list. And sometimes it doesn't make sense because things can wait and some things should wait, but I can't, I get obsessed. I cannot rest until I do these things. Right. And on the positive side, it's unequivocally the reason why I've been able to turn out so many LA in a minute episodes. I mean, I, I get my list. I know what topics I want to cover and I dive into them and I get them done. I go drive, do the research, do the editing, check, check, check all the boxes getting checked. And, you know, luckily I do put out some pretty good content, but even for that, sometimes what if it rested? What if I, I took a little more time? What if I didn't need to finish that episode today and I could get a better shot next week? (sighs) Not, doesn't happen. I mean, the OCD drives me. I mean, I'm meticulously organized, fully responsive. I'm a chore doing motherfucker, but this OCD manifestation is, is an impediment and it's not healthy and it's not cool on those around me. Um, honey, babe, I apologize. I know it drives you nuts sometimes. I'll give you an example. This is one that's just non-productive, pure OCD. Okay. I haven't been able to shake this one since I was... 14-year-old varsity player at James Monroe High School, varsity baseball player. We'd be in the bus going to an away ball game. And now on that bus, as I'd walk in in my uniform, we're going to North Hollywood or we're going to Poly or we're going to uh, Silmar, wherever we're going, the first thing I'd have to do walking up to that bus is look at the numbers, Right let's say the numbers are one, six, and seven. I'd add up those numbers. One plus six plus seven, that's 14. I'd add them again, that's 28. And then I'd add six until I got to 34. Why? 34 was my uniform number. And I would need to do that every time I saw a yellow school bus. If I don't do it, I don't know if I want to call it a curse or say it's bad luck, but I get that high level of anxiety that, that jolt of, I guess, incompletion through my system. And to this day, every time I see a damn bus, I do that. Now, luckily I'm all right with numbers so I can add them up pretty quick, but sometimes they don't add up. I could tell you right now that there's no combination of threes and nines that are going to add up to 34. And sometimes that bus is 339 or 399. And it would bother me and it still kind of bothers me. So now, how do I quote solve that? I I try not to even look at buses because I know if I see that number, it's just, it's a compulsion. I'll go back even further. My OCD was on the verge of getting out of control. This is before the Northridge earthquake in 94. And I actually kind of thank the earthquake for shaking me, pun intended, out of some of the OCD because I was really, really going down that spiral. I used to have these starting lineup figures. They're they're kind of like sports action figures, right? Um, Don Mattingly, Kirby Puckett, uh, Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, like little kind of action figures, sports ones, right? And I had dozens of them, close to 100. And they were all in my room on display, quite a collection. I had some of my dresser, some of my nightstands, some on shelves, basically any open surface. surface. But the OCD part was before I went to bed each night, I would have to touch every single one of these figures and not just touch it. I'd have to turn it like a quarter of a centimeter towards the door to represent moving forward in my life. And if I touched one inadvertently, keep in mind, it's a lot of figures, so they're close together. If I was trying to move one, I touched another one and moved it backwards, I'd have to start all over and do them all again. And then when I got that, done with when it was time to go to bed bed now that routine had to be in the same exact order and it ended with my light switch i had to turn on and off the light switch a certain number of times the number would vary luckily right whatever was the number that week i don't even remember how i chose that number sometimes it's three but sometimes it was 21 and so i'd have to turn on off on off 21 times and you want to go to bed you want to rush through it but if the light didn't turn fully on or fully off i'd have to start over so i'm telling you that is a sickness and to this day my ocd still gets me even on my desk my little notebook has to be perfectly straight my books have to be perfectly in order my pen needs to be facing a certain direction Even in my pocket, my wallet, my chapstick, my earbuds need to be in there in a certain format. So, I mean, even though I've gotten better, man, if you have OCD, if you're familiar with any of that stuff, tell me something that kind of where I want to break the reins completely and not have to deal with it and not have this obsession um, or these obsessions, I guess. So, let me know. I mean, even just talking about it feels a little better i think i've only discussed this with my wife in my entire life but let me know if you you relate to this or if you have any solutions or just the right way to deal with it but yeah thank you for letting me blow off a little steam on this one this was a definite cathartic release and talking about blowing off steam this is a great one if you're gonna do one thing in la this week do this Go see the sunken city in San Pedro. The sunken city. I remember being told about this and being like, what? Why why haven't I heard about a city that sunk? And what, what is there to see? Well, it's ruins of a city that fell into the Pacific Ocean. This blew my mind. I mean, the fact that there were ruins in Los Angeles in itself is like pretty cool. You know, I I talked about the abandoned zoo in a previous episode. I'm into it. I think it's really neat, that kind of history. But a city? I I had to get down there. And I suggest you do too. This this thing lived up to its billing for me. I mean, these are the remnants, like concrete foundations, like broken sidewalks, stuff like that. Of what was a six-acre seaside community. Purchased right on the Pacific Ocean. Beautiful views sometime in the mid-20s. I mean, this is crazy, right? And and by the way, I do need to mention this. This is technically off-limits. There's like a little fence around it. You're not supposed to go down there, but they make access pretty easy. And while I was there, there were other groups of people. Seems like there's a lot of pictures and stuff online, but technically I can't tell you to go down there because it's off-limits, but hey, you know, between us, go, go and check it out. But how did this come to be in the first place? A city of ruins, right? So this little six acre seaside community was the brainchild. of This guy named George Peck, again, with the real estate developments, how Los Angeles developed, right? Views of a seaside bluff. It's what's called point for mean in San Pedro. And how did you get to this little new community? Well, the red car. It's the 1920s. This is Los Angeles, the mass transit capital of the world. So there was a red car railway stop that took you right to it. And now this guy, George Peck, he built some nice little bungalows, sidewalks, power and water, just for the tip of San Pedro. A little community, dozens of homes. Now, January of 1929, some of these homeowners noticed ground movement and slippage. By May, four months later, there was movement of eight inches Laterally and a vertical drop of three inches. Now, imagine that if that's your apartment, that's your house. I mean, this is significant. Home foundations were starting to slip, infrastructure was buckling, gas and water lines. Guess what? There were leaks and there was breakage. And at this point, some homeowners began to move out, but not all of them. You know how people are. But by August, just three months after that, the movement had been described as a full-on landslide. The earth was moving towards the ocean at 3 inches per day. Now luckily that's a relatively slow landslide, but if your house is moving 3 inches a day towards the ocean, it's time to GTFO, all right? A large crevice, several feet wide formed in the middle of this this little development. And at that point the remaining homeowners moved and some were able to actually move their homes. I guess there were prefab homes behind the slide area, but the rest of the area was roped off. Now enter then retired DWP chief, William Mulholland. Yes, that William Mulholland. He told the LA times at the time that the landslide was quote, just as inevitable as the freckles on a small boy's nose, but that the land, even though it was unstable, probably wouldn't fall into the sea. Well, Mulholland, who is responsible for bringing water to Los Angeles with the LA Aqueduct, which is truly an engineering marvel. Well, this was towards the end of his career. And 1929 was less than a year after the largest man-made disaster in LA history, the St. Francis Dam disaster, which was, frankly, Mulholland's fault. And that's why he was forced into retirement. So his word about this city that was maybe or maybe not sliding into the sea was not exactly rock solid, pun intended. And sure enough, two homes ultimately did fall into the ocean, as did part of that Point Fermin Park, which was adjacent. Commercial buildings, streets, sidewalks were also affected. And what remains today is the sunken city, the ruins of what was once a fantastic little seaside community in L.A., So go down there. And by the way, when you are down there, spend some time in San Pedro. You could call it San Pedro. That's what I always called it. But the people down there call it San Pedro. And it really is like a secret little nook of Los Angeles. And it's not just that part. There's a historic little Italy, a Croatian community, and some really great food. But where you really want to go Sunken City. Check that out. So that is our show. Thank you again for listening to another episode of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. Have an awesome day. The weather is getting beautiful again. This is LA, baby. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the week. And please don't forget to subscribe. Give me that five-star rating. And send this podcast to your friends. Share it if you like it. It really helps me. And it really helps us build in a minute with Evan Lovett. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.